Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. I'd encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning. We're going to start in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. We're continuing on in our series, The Fullness of Life. We've been there for some time, but I don't know about you, I continue to glean things that have been very meaningful to me in my spiritual journey. It comes to us from the theme verse, John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A full life is an abundant life that is fruitful and victorious, and it is, in fact, the life that God intends for every single one of his children. No exceptions. This is why Jesus came, that we might live a full and abundant life here and in all of eternity. And so, so far, we've looked at several key elements of this kind of life. Uh, First of all, abiding in Christ. That is really the key. The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the warfare of the Spirit, and now we are in this section called the community of the Spirit. And as we learned last week, the full or abundant life is lived in biblical community. Can't emphasize that enough. The full or abundant life is lived in biblical community. If you are detached from biblical community, you will fall short of what God intends for you in a full or abundant life. And so the key phrase in our study is one another, one another, from the Greek alelon, which is used a hundred times in 94 New Testament verses. It's used a hundred times in 94 New Testament verses, which I don't know about you, but that tells me it's really, really important. If God says something once, that should be good enough, but if he says it a hundred times, you really better pay attention because it's something that he want to make sure that we get. And for this reason, one of the marks that you hear us talk about of a true disciple of Jesus Christ is that they are communal. That's the C in the marks of a disciple. They are missional, they are accountable, they are reproducible, they are communal, and they are scriptural. And as you heard Dustin in his video testimony talk about the role of a discipleship group in his life, these are the things that are growing and developing in his life and in those who participate in discipleship groups. By communal, what we mean is that we are intentional about living in biblical community. We are intentional about living in in biblical community and fulfilling the one another's of Scripture. And so today, a little bit of a tongue twister, but we focus on another of the one another's, okay? And this time, it is welcome one another. We are to welcome one another. As it says in Romans 15, 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let me say it again. It is so foundational, so important, so key. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of of God. And uh, let's pause right now and just ask for the Lord's help this morning. Father, we thank you that your word is absolutely 100% true. We thank you, God, that it is um, your, your will for us and how we are to live. God, you have not made it difficult for us to understand. You've made it so very clear, and this particular topic is um, no different. What's difficult for us, Father, we confess, is having the will to obey it. 
And so, Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts this morning. Take away all of the impulse that we have to say, yeah, what about, what about, what about, and try to explain away what your word has made so very clear to us. Make us humble, teachable students of your word this morning, we pray. And I ask for your help in proclaiming it clearly, accurately, and powerfully. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. So, Again, this whole idea of welcoming one another is captured by the term biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality. Now, when you hear the word hospitality, what do you tend to think of? Yeah, maybe you think of something like, like this. Um, you know, a fancy table with cloth napkins and fine china. Um, I don't know if we own any of those things at our house, okay? We're more of a pizza box family than a fine china family. And that, that, this certainly is a type of hospitality, but it's not the only type. Because the truth of the matter is, biblical hospitality is defined like this. It is a welcoming heart that expresses itself through a welcoming life. Biblical hospitality is a welcoming heart that expresses itself through a welcoming life. And so beyond a fancy table or dining experience, this kind of hospitality can and should be practiced in all kinds of ways. Some fancy, some very dirty. Getting down and dirty with people in their lives, which we'll unpack when we consider these three things. We're going to look at biblical hospitality exemplified, expected, and then exercised exemplified, expected, and then exercised. And so first of all, let's look at biblical hospitality, this welcoming one another, exemplified in the scriptures. For there are in fact some really graphic, powerful illustrations of what this is supposed to look like. And of course, as always, the greatest of these is Jesus Christ himself. Back to our key verse, Romans chapter 15, verse 7, where it says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That is our standard. That is our picture of what it is supposed to look like. That is our motive for ourselves welcoming others because Christ first welcomed us and then the product of that is the glory of God. So, um, perhaps this is most graphically illustrated in one of my favorite, my favorite scriptures in the Bible and that is the parable of the prodigal son. You know the story, right? A son demands his inheritance while his father is still alive, which, especially in that culture, was an incredible act of defiance and of disrespect. It was like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, and I want what's coming to me now. Incredible disrespect. And to make matters worse, the son, after he gets what he wanted, he goes away and squanders it all on foolish and destructive living, to the point that he literally ends up in a pig pen eating pig food. At which point he finally, he, he comes to his senses and he sheepishly returns home, but it, it raises the question, how would he be received? How would the father respond to this son who had disrespected him and who had um, so much hurt him? Would he be welcomed or would he be rejected? And Luke 15, 20 tells us this. The son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said, Father, I I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Oh, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. How did the father respond to the return of his son? He welcomed him with open arms. He, even beyond the welcoming with open arms, he ran to him. He pursued him, which is going to be a big theme in just a few moments. In this story, we are the rebellious son, are we not? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all ended up in the pig pen. We've all shared, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and rebelled against our Creator. But the good news in this story is, is that God is the compassionate Father who welcomes us home even when we don't deserve it. And this has profound ramifications for how we are to treat others, both within the church and outside the church. John MacArthur said it this way. He said, if the perfect, sinless Son of God has accepted us into God's divine family, how much more should we be willing to accept each other? despite the fact that we all still carry sinful trappings from our old, unredeemed flesh. How much more indeed? We also see this welcoming, this biblical hospitality hospitality demonstrated by Jesus and how he related to what we might call the least of these. And in Jesus' day, who were the least of these? Who were the most despised people? Lepers. Lepers. People stricken with a horribly destructive and contagious skin disease that would literally eat away at their limbs. A disease for which there was no cure. And as if the condition itself weren't bad enough, it was required that such people be social outcasts, cut off from community. They would not be welcomed. But then we read of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand. And and, and watch this. He touched him. Jesus touched the leper saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Again, I I can't get over the fact that Jesus touched the leper, the least of these, setting for us the standard for what biblical hospitality is all about. It is a welcoming heart that expresses itself through a welcoming life, even toward the least of these. Who are the least of these in our community? And is your heart open and welcoming toward these? So that is biblical hospitality exemplified. We we see it in Jesus through the, the parable of the prodigal son and how we have been welcomed by him and how Jesus welcomed even the least of these. Now, let's look at the hard truth that biblical hospitality is expected 
of God's children. It is expected of God's children, and that involves every single one of, the, of God's children. Again, we, we see the command in Romans 15, 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. It's very clear. It's very plain. This is a biblical command. It is expected that we be people of biblical hospitality. And that command is repeated in multiple places in the New Testament. Why? Because it is so important to God and then it must be important to us as well. One of these places where it is repeated is Romans 12, 13. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek. Seek to show hospitality. I think that word seek is so critically important because it communicates to us the necessity of intentionality. The necessity of intentionality. Because the truth is, left to ourselves, if we are not intentional about living this way, guess what? We won't. Our, our, left to ourselves, our default will be individualism, safety, comfort, self-centeredness. Left to ourselves, without intentionality, we will not fulfill the biblical command to welcome others as Christ has welcomed us. So instead, we must resist this gravitational pull towards selfishness and instead proactively seek opportunities to welcome people as Jesus has welcomed us. Now, this, this word seek, as if it weren't strong enough already, in the Greek, check this out, this is so cool. It comes from the Greek diakontes, which means to pursue, to prosecute, and even persecute. So in essence, we're talking about we have been called to persecute people with kindness, which I think is pretty cool. That is just how intentional we are supposed to be about seeking to show hospitality. Um, we are to persecute the way the apostle Paul, when he was known by Saul in the book of Acts, when he was ravishing the church with persecution so intentionally, so strategically, that is how we are to go about showing biblical hospitality. As it says in Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek, be intentional, pursue others with hospitality. The second scripture that communicates the expectation for biblical hospitality is 1 Peter 4, 9. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Any other grumblers out there? Man, I can grumble. Ask Christy. Um, and, and again, I've shared this with you before. I can, even worse, go through the outward motions of biblical hospitality, of welcoming others, of giving of myself, while inwardly being grumpy about it. And that doesn't fly. That is not a heart that is right, a heart that is pleasing to God. Now the question is, why would anyone grumble about showing hospitality? Well, because hospitality involves selfless sacrifice. Hospitality involves selfless sacrifice. It'll cost you something. It will probably cost you a lot. Um, number one, it will cost you your time. 
And our time is precious, isn't it? We talked a little bit about that last week. Our time is precious, and to be hospitable, to welcome others into your life is going to cost you time. It will likely cost you material resources. It will likely cost you material resources. You know, in Jesus' day, it was the expectation of God's people that they would welcome the stranger literally into their homes. The inns were not safe. They were sketchy. They were dangerous. And so as people traveled from one place to another, God's people were to open their homes, welcoming others with a welcoming heart, a welcoming lifestyle. That would be costly. You had to feed them. Perhaps you had to clothe them. And somehow we've said, well, that's just for then. That doesn't have anything to do with us today. But it will cost you. I'm I'm bunny trailing here a little bit. I know some of you this week with the story in the news about, it's been in the news for a couple weeks about, um, we have immigrants who are shipped to different cities. And we scoff at the hypocrisy of these cities that don't want to welcome immigrants. They say they're for immigration, but when push comes to shove, when it comes to welcoming the immigrant, they're not so willing to step up. As an interesting counter to that, I wonder for a church that is so passionately pro-life, do we welcome our homes and our arms to fostering and adopting children or supporting those who do? Um, The hypocrisy of the one is no different than the hypocrisy of the other. If we say we are going to be people, God's people of biblical hospitality who open our arms and welcome those as Christ has welcomed us, let us make sure that when it comes to the cost, and I think that's it, we, we, we count the cost of welcoming others, make sure that we are not as hypocritical as we would claim others are in similar issues. Um, biblical hospitality will also cost you your comfort. It will cost you your comfort, especially for those of us who tend to be more introverted, like our space, like to be left alone. Um, But hear this, and this is for me. The command to show hospitality is not limited to those who happen to be extroverted or social. There's no, no exclusion for, well, it's just for certain people. It is for everyone. It is for all of God's people. It will make us uncomfortable. All of God's children are called to welcome others just as Christ has welcomed us. And as 1 Peter 4.9 says, again, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And if we have a heart issue that needs to be dealt with, then let's deal with it. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to change us. A third passage which communicates the expectation of biblical hospitality is this. Hebrews 13.2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. How many of you have never seen that verse before? And you're like, are you kidding me? The idea is that there very well may be times in our lives where God tests us. He tests our commitment to being welcoming to others the way that he welcomed us. And he just may put strangers in our lives to see how we will respond to them. Will we respond to them the way that we have been commanded to? 
Will we welcome them the way that Christ has welcomed us? And according to Hebrews 13.2, these strangers may even be angels. It's in the Scriptures. It's in the Bible. It could happen. It has happened. Abraham experienced something of this in Genesis 18. He's sitting near the entrance of his tent. He's minding his own business. When he looked up and saw what appeared to be three men standing nearby, at which point Abraham went into full hospitality mode, bringing them food and drink and refreshment. And as it turned out, these visitors were divine in nature. This was a divine appointment for Abraham. But here's the thing, we never know when God may orchestrate just such a divine appointment for us. We must always be ready, always on our toes, always seeking to show hospitality to anyone and everyone that God brings across our path. And whether it is an actual angel or not, guess what? When we welcome others, we're actually welcoming Jesus. For he himself said in Matthew 25, verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Biblical hospitality, if if we are to embrace it as fully as God intends, it will require of us to remember who is the ultimate recipient of our welcoming. It goes beyond the people that we see with our physical eyes. It is none other than Jesus himself. And do you want to end on a little secret? This is pretty cool. If you want greater blessing in your life, be a greater blessing. Let me say that again. If you want greater blessing in your life, be a greater blessing. Now, this is not some massaged form of prosperity gospel I'm sharing with you. Listen carefully. It's absolutely biblical. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, God spoke to Abraham and said to Abraham, you are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. And then in Luke 6.38, it says this, church, give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So here's the point. God blesses others who are intent on blessing others. He knows that those who are intent in blessing others can be trusted with his resources. He knows that those resources will end up where he intends for them to go, and so he will bless those who have this mindset of biblical hospitality, of welcoming others. He blesses us to be a blessing. And so that is biblical hospitality exemplified expected in various places in the New Testament scriptures. Now let's talk about it exercised and how how practically are we to do this? Because it is very practical. 
I think that's perhaps why we shy away from it a little bit. This goes far beyond being some theory for us to discuss. It comes down to how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we think about the philosophy of our homes. Commentator William Barclay said this. He said, Christianity is the religion of the open hand, the open heart, and the open door. And so I, I ask you, I ask myself, how open are your hands? How open is your heart? And how open is literally your door? It's so easy for us, consciously or unconsciously, to walk around with a big do not disturb sign, right? When all along God has called us to put out a welcome mat. You know, it's interesting. Even the design of our houses says something about our avoidance of biblical hospitality. And we're a culture known for big back decks, aren't we? It's just kind of, a, it's just kind of what we do. We build big back decks behind our houses, behind our fences, away from our neighbors. Well, how about the fronts of our houses? Well, they tend to be characterized by these tiny little porches. Maybe a few steps, but not much, not much room there. Big back decks behind the house, tiny porches in the front. If Jesus were designing a house today, how do you think he would design it? I'm guessing it would potentially be very much the opposite. A big front porch designed to welcome and entertain any and all who were in need of a welcome. But regardless of the design of our houses, I believe that God is challenging all of us in some practical way to be more welcoming to others, challenging us to be people of biblical hospitality, a welcoming heart that expresses itself through a welcoming life. And so with this in mind, here are seven practical steps toward a life that is more welcoming to others. I, I picked these up from an article I read online, found them to be very helpful and convicting to me personally. And uh, they're on the slides, there is a link um, to that article if you'd like to go back to that yourself. Um, biblical hospitality tips. Number one, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Again, we're not talking about the fact that you need a fancy table with fancy food. And uh, we're talking about meeting practical needs. Whatever is needed at the time as people come into your life. Um, again, it could be a couple pizza boxes and a two liter. It could be ice cream. It could be coffee. Keep it very simple. Meet a practical need. Know how you yourself are wired and be welcoming in the way that God has made you. He's made you the way that you are for a reason. And so how you are welcoming, how you show biblical hospitality will very likely be different than how someone else does. Don't overthink it. You know, a lot of times we, we, are, we have this paralysis by analysis and we have to just overthink everything so we never do anything. And that's why I keep it simple. Just do something that welcomes other people into your life. Keep it simple. Number two, make a list of potential people to invite to your home or to bless in some way. Make a list of potential people to invite to your home or to bless in some way. Again, some of you will need to take some baby steps. And so maybe it's not inviting a whole bunch of people to your home, but maybe it's reaching out to someone that you know is in need and blessing them. This goes, the, the whole idea of making a list, it's consistent with that Romans 12, 13 mandate where it says, seek to show hospitality. Be intentional. That, that act of making the list is intentional. It's part of seeking, pursuing, 
persecuting others with kindness. Think of those in your church. There are people in your church that are in need, that are especially in need of a welcome, in your neighborhood, in your work, at school, who could use some form of encouragement. Maybe it's a note. Maybe it's a simple email or a text saying, I'm thinking of you, praying for you. How can I be a blessing to you? Write these names down. Write these names down. It's part of being intentional and seeking. And then when you've made that list, cover it in prayer. Cover it in prayer. Because what we're doing here, certainly we don't want to simply be an act of the flesh, but an act of the Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit Himself. Ask the Holy Spirit to go ahead of you and to prepare the way for you. And I believe this is one of those no-brainer prayers. You know, sometimes we wonder, well, uh, what is God's will in, in this matter? We know God's will in this matter. He wants this to happen. I almost guarantee you that if you will make a list and cover it in prayer, God will show up and God will provide divine appointments. Next, number four, engage in intentional conversation. Engage in intentional conversation. Conversation which blesses others which brings encouragement, sharing your heart with others. I know that's hard for some of us. Oh, but people are so desperate to connect on a heart level. People are starved for this kind of interaction that goes beyond the weather, goes beyond politics, goes beyond sports. Engage in intentional conversation. And next, number five, read a book. Read a book about biblical hospitality. We all have a lot, I believe, to learn in this area because we have become very Western and individualized in how we go about life. And we put up all kinds of fences and walls around us that say, do not disturb. We've got some growing to do in this. It might be helpful to read a book. I have two in my library um, that are listed in your notes. Um, One is called The Art of Neighboring. The Art of Neighboring. And then a second is The Gospel Comes with a House Key. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And you'll find these books to be very stretching to the point of making you uncomfortable. And I think that's a really good thing because we've all got a lot of growing to do in this area to be welcoming as Jesus was. Next, number six, think of small practical needs. Think of small practical needs. Um, There are young families, even within our church, that would be so blessed if you would just say, hey, could we watch your kids for a night? Could we make it possible for you to go out on a date night? How how small and practical is that? Um, Taking a meal to someone, especially when they've been sick, maybe they've had a surgery. Writing an encouragement card to someone. Again, these aren't These aren't seemingly big things, but I guarantee if you do them, they will be big. And if you're not sure where to begin, could I encourage you to start right here in this church, in this building, in this room, on Sunday mornings even? Again, left to ourselves, think about your Sunday morning. Our default is to walk through those doors, to go to our normal seat, and do our normal thing. Maybe engage a few of the people with whom we are most familiar and comfortable. Oblivious to the fact that perhaps just in a row ahead of us or next to us are so many others who have walked through the door and are desperately in need of a welcome. Desperately in need of being noticed and known that they matter. 
How ironic and tragic it would be for us to worship the Jesus who welcomed us and then in his very house not be welcoming to others. Again, it takes a lot of intentionality to do that because we go on autopilot left to ourselves. We do our thing with the people we're familiar, with the people that we're comfortable, and we don't even realize or recognize so many of the people around us. And then finally, number seven. This is the answer to those of you like, I don't have time for this. When am I going to invite people into my home? When am I going to make time to intentionally seek others out, to be a blessing to them? Again, kind of going back to last week's sermon, if you're too busy for this, then you're too busy. Your priorities are askew in their need of some reinvention. But this helps. Invite others to do something you are already doing. Um, Anybody eat (laughs) multiple times a day? Um, Anybody here drink coffee multiple times a day? These are, are just two of the many things that are already programmed into our busy schedules. And perhaps rather than adding hospitality as an activity in your life, maybe you begin to simply include people in doing what you already do. Invite others to do something that you are already doing. And so to recap, keep it simple. Make a list of potential people to invite to your home or to bless in some way. Cover it in prayer. I can't emphasize that enough. Intentional conversation, read a book about biblical hospitality, think of small practical needs, and invite others to do something you are already doing. Because biblical hospitality is a welcoming heart that expresses itself through a welcoming life. Open hands, open heart, open life. Let me close with a final illustration from the scriptures. It's uh, I love this one. It's from Acts chapter 27, toward the book, end of the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul is on a ship. The ship runs aground. The ship breaks apart. Paul and his companions, Paul's a prisoner at this point, but they're, they're swimming for their lives. And uh, I'll pick up reading in Acts 27, verse 41. It says, But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who, would, who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all who were brought safely to land. And then we read the beginning of verse 28. This is where it relates to biblical hospitality. Luke writes, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. I love that phrase, unusual kindness. It cost them material resources. It cost them time. It cost them the risk of, these are prisoners, no less. This is a scary thing that we're doing. But these residents of the island of Malta, they stepped up and welcomed the way Jesus would welcome and showed unusual kindness. Romans 15, 7, we end where we began. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you 
for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your conviction personally in this regard. Um, I get so focused on me and my tasks and what I need to get done. And I can make all kinds of excuses and rationalizations why this shouldn't have to apply to me. And I'm, I'm guessing I'm not alone in that. And so God, as a church, may we be known for unusual kindness. May we be quick to open our arms to welcome others the way that you have welcomed us. And God, I pray that you just make it very practical, very simple. God, help us to represent you well. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand together as we sing?